Well, turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we're continuing, of course, the study, our study of the life of Christ has really seen through Matthew. Matthew, of course, was a tax collector, and uh, it was one of the 12 disciples, and his gospel presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. Each one of the gospels presents Jesus in a different way. Luke presents him as the perfect man, and Mark presents him as the servant, and John presents Jesus as God. Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews, as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There's a lot in, in this as we go verse by verse, passage by passage. This morning, we're seeing the beginning of Christ's ministry. And and what we're actually seeing in these verses, 23, 24, and 25, it's not a lot of verses. There's a lot in there. We're seeing an overview of his ministry, and we see what he did. We know that he came to seek and save those who are lost. He came to be the Savior of the world. He came as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We know that he came the first time to die on the cross to pay for sin. He comes the second time to rule in righteousness and justice. So this morning, we're seeing really a big summary of the ministry. And, And what we want to do is be encouraged as we go through that. Well, the truth is this, and we talked about it earlier. We have the greatest message of all time. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to the earth to die on the cross to pay for sin and rise again to conquer death. All who believe in Him, all who put their faith in Him, will have eternal life. All who trust in Jesus Christ will go from death to life. All who believe in Him are children of God, and we get to represent Him on this earth. Paul says, I preach Christ and Him crucified. That's the message. We're ambassadors for Christ. Think about that. Second Corinthians 5.20 says, we're ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech. And so as we think about that, we have a ministry that we gather for worship and training. We gather on a Sunday morning to worship Jesus Christ and be trained and equipped. And then we scatter out in our community to take the good news message of Jesus Christ and to serve people. Well, this morning, as we are at the very end of chapter 4, we're going to see really a summary of the ministry of Jesus. It's the big, we haven't even really got to it in the book yet, but uh, Matthew, as he writes this down, he says, okay, here's basically what Jesus was doing. This is, of course, at the beginning of the ministry, but it's a pattern that we see all the way through. What did he do? And as we see this, we can think about our ministry, what we're supposed to do. So let's begin. Let me give you, remember, the brief overview. If you didn't pick up the card when you came in, there's a little card out front that has, uh, on one side says Matthew, and it says the author and the date and the theme and, and the big sections of the book. On the other side is actually an outline of the, of the book. And we're in what the, the section of the book called the platform of the king, in which he tells about, and this is especially when we get into chapters 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. We'll see how all that fits together. Well, Matthew, of course, who wrote this in the power of the Holy Spirit, was one of the 12 disciples. He's also one of the apostles. Uh, he wrote to show that Jesus Christ is the king. So far, we have seen the background of the king. We've seen the Wise men coming, we've seen the birth of the king, we've seen uh, Jesus goes to Egypt, then comes back, we see that he meets John the Baptist, and John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, we see Jesus goes off into the wilderness in the temptation uh, from the devil, and then comes back, and we found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, that when John was put into prison, that's John the Baptist, Jesus went north. Let me just remind you of this as we look at the map that Jesus had been in Nazareth, and he comes all the way down basically to Jerusalem, goes out in the wilderness area. That's where John the Baptist baptizes Jesus to identify him. He then goes in greater into the wilderness, probably in this part, and that's where he's tempted by the devil. After that, he comes back, 
and he's, he's with John the Baptist's son, and a couple of people like Peter and Andrew and James and John and those guys, they meet Jesus. They see Jesus change the water to wine at Cana of Galilee. They see Jesus meet, uh, uh, they, they, they cleanse the temple part. They see him do all kind of different things. And then John the Baptist is thrown into prison. And when John is thrown into prison, Jesus leaves down here, goes to Nazareth. We saw last time when he went to Nazareth, he went into the synagogue to proclaim and to teach. And when he did, uh, they got really mad at him because he basically said that God loved the Gentiles and wanted to take care of the Gentiles. And a bunch of the Jewish people there, of course, got mad and they were going to kill Jesus and throw him over the, the side of the, of the hill. And he walks right through them and he leaves Nazareth and he goes to Capernaum. And this is where, in Capernaum, that's at the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, this is where he begins his ministry. And we saw that uh, the, the Old Testament even uh, had a prophecy that that's the part of the land that he would start the ministry in. And so that's what we have seen over these last uh, three or four lessons, especially last week. It, this week, as we look at this, we, uh, we see the beginning of the ministry. Let me just put this outline for you together, put the whole thing together. We see Christ's ministry beginning. His message was in 417, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We'll talk more about that in a second. Then he chose four guys. We'll talk who that is in just a minute. And this morning, the ver we saw that last week, of course, but this morning, verses 23, 24, 25 is the ministry, is the big overview, and we'll see that. Now, let me remind you, in chapter 4, verse 17, it's a turning point in the book. The, uh, the book of Matthew up to that point has been an introduction. In chapter 4, verse 17, it says, from that time, Jesus began to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Repent means to change your mind. The king is here. He's wanting them to realize that the, the Messiah is here. He's offered himself to the nation of Israel as the Messiah and the king. That's what he starts with. He then goes and finds four guys. He's going by the sea, and he sees Andrew and Peter, and they're, they're mending their nets, and he looks at them and says, follow me, and they get up and follow him. And then he goes and he sees James and John, and he sees them with their father, who's, who's got several boats, and he looks at James and John and says, follow me, and they follow him. Now, a lot of people, if you haven't understood the scripture, you think, here's these four guys, they're fishermen, and Jesus walks by. They don't know him, he doesn't know them, and he just looks at them and says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, and they just give up everything. Well, that's not accurate at all. We saw last week, they had already been with Jesus. They had already believed in him as the Messiah and Savior. They already saw him change the water to wine. They already saw him meet with Nicodemus. They've already seen these things. So they are believers. They've gone back to fishing. Now it comes along, as we saw last week, and he says, come on, and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. That's discipleship. And so what we saw last week was these men becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. They follow him. We talked last week about salvation and discipleship, and we said this, that salvation is a gift. It costs us absolutely nothing. It's by faith in Christ, and, and whoever believes in him has eternal life. And I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, that's salvation, but discipleship costs us. It's by following him. It costs us our lives. What we say to God, I give you my life. I want to serve you. What we saw last week was James and John and Andrew and Peter not trusting Christ as Savior. They already trusted him as their savior. They're following him. They're going to go with him. They've given up being fishermen and they say, I want my life to count for Jesus. And Jesus says, come on, I'll make you fishers of men. And that's what we're seeing now. And what happens in the book right after that, if you notice verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. In verses 23, 24, and 25, 
Matthew gives us a big overview of the ministry. So what, what, what did Jesus do? If somebody just asked you, when Jesus Christ came, what did he do? Well, all of us would stop and think, okay, well, I mean, he, he talked a lot, and he gave parables, and he went around doing things, and he healed a lot of people, and, uh, and, and if you start thinking, I don't, I don't know all the stuff. You remember, well, I remember he went one time into the temple and took, threw all the tables over and ran everybody out, and, and we, we, we know he raised some people from the dead, and he did all these kind of things. What exactly did he do? What was his ministry? Well, notice verse 23. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, and then it says, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. So let me show you where he is. This is Galilee. In, in Israel, at the time of Christ, the southern part was called Judea, the middle part was called Samaria, and the northern part was called Galilee, and there's the Sea of Galilee. He's in this region. He is going about doing ministry. His headquarters is Capernaum in that city. So here's, and so the, Matthew says, here's what Jesus was doing, and it says this. He was going throughout all Galilee. So he's in the northern part of Israel. The best that we can understand about the only times that Jesus came south to come to Jerusalem was when there was a feast day or there was something special going on. Jesus spent most of his ministry in the northern part of Israel. And I want you to just think about something. The southern part of Israel was the big capital city. It was where the temple was. It was where all the religious leaders were. The northern part of Israel was where the farmers and the fishermen were. And this is where he began his ministry. And if you'll notice, people just flock to him to hear his teaching. We're going to see that when he teaches chapters 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount, it says when he gets to the end, they were all amazed because he taught as one having authority. Wow. It's, it, it's going to be so good. We'll, we'll see it as we go through it. So anyway, what was his ministry? Let me read verse 23 again to you. It says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. He actually was doing three things. He was teaching in the synagogues, he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and he was healing all kind of people. This is what we see. This ties in, and it's going to tie into what we do in ministry as well. Now, I want to remind you of something. When we think of Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we know that Jesus Christ came the first time, and he announced that he was the King of Israel, and he was the King of the world, and they rejected him, and he went to the cross, and he died. So his first coming, Jesus came to die. The second time he comes, he comes to the earth, he comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You've seen this chart many, many times. This is his first coming. He came to the earth. He announced that he was the king. Israel rejected him as the king. They crucified him. He died and was buried and rose again after three days, ascended back into heaven. That's the first coming of Christ to the earth. He'll come a second time, and he comes out of heaven. As Revelation 19, verse 11, he comes, and he comes to the earth as the king of kings, lord of lords, and he sets up a kingdom that rules a thousand, that he will rule for a thousand years. That's his second coming. We are actually seeing the first coming of Christ as he's offered himself as the king. They will reject him. He will die on the cross to pay for our sins and rise again, conquering death, giving life to all who believes. And then there will be a second time that he will come as the king of kings and the lord of lords. Now, one thing you've got to notice we're going to see it all the way through the book of Matthew. Matthew is offering himself to the Jewish people as king. Be careful when you read it. 
He doesn't even mention Gentiles as far as getting the message to them until the end of the book. When you get to Matthew 28, when it says, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of, what? All nations. Up to this point, he's been presenting himself as the king of the Jews. We're going to get to chapter 16, verse 21, and it says, From that time, Jesus began to say, I'm going to Jerusalem to die, because they reject him. And we're going to see it as we go through the book. I just want you to understand how it fits together. So we're at the beginning of the ministry, and he's going out, and he's up in... Picture this. What, what would it be like if we lived then, and we were in the northern part of Israel, and, and, and we hear people saying, there's this man, there's this man, he's a, he's a rabbi. It means he's a teacher. And, and, and he's got some people following him, and he's doing miraculous things. And when he speaks, nobody's ever taught this way. People are just sitting there, and he talks, and we go, that's right. What? what? That's perfect. And, and he heals people, and, and people have come up, and, and they've got diseases, and he touches them, and they're well. Or he'll just say, you're healed, and they're healed. And, and people are beginning to follow him. And, and, and there's a group, he sits, sits down with a whole bunch of people, 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. It could have been fifteen to 20,000 people. And he feeds every one of them. And he doesn't just give them a little nugget and says, listen, I know it's a chicken nugget, but just do the best you can with it. No, they're so full at the end, it says, when everyone had their... Feel they were completely fooled up, and people are following him everywhere. Now, this is just a summary. When we go through the book of Matthew, we're going to see this. We're going to see him go, and we're going to see the religious leaders hate him. And you go, how could anybody hate somebody who heals people, who loves people, who does, who does everything good and everything right? It's because they were afraid they were going to lose their positions, and they didn't believe in him as Messiah and king. So let's look and see what he was doing. Jesus did, was doing three things. Notice verse 23. Jesus was going through all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, that's number one, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, that's number two, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people, that's number three. Well, let's look at the first one, and this is his teaching ministry. Notice what it says. Jesus was going through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. Now, he's teaching. The word teaching means instructing. It means passing on information. He was the greatest teacher who ever lived. Listen, if he came in here right now, we would, all just, we would all just go, wow, keep going, keep going, please don't stop. Tell us some more, tell us some more. He would put the Bible together better than anything you could ever imagine. See, he wrote it, so that's why he could do that. And so he could do it, and he was teaching. He taught the Word of God. There's going to be places we're going to see, you have heard it said, but I say to you, because he gives them new information as well. He teaches. Now, notice what it says. He was teaching in the synagogues. You know what a synagogue is? I mean, you may have heard of it, and we know what happened last week, or when somebody went into a synagogue, the Tree of Life synagogue, and killed all those people. A syn- we, when you hear synagogue, you think church, you know, because Jewish people, you say, they go to synagogues, we go to church. Well, when the Jewish people, uh, they had the temple, that giant building that, got, that's, that Solomon, you know, David and Solomon put together, and it was destroyed. And when they were taken off into captivity in, in about 585 B.C., they were in captivity for 70 years, and they didn't have a temple. They didn't have anything. So what did they do? They got into small groups, and they taught the Bible to each other. And then when they came back from captivity, they rebuilt the temple, and it was a much smaller temple, but they continued meeting in little groups called synagogues. That's the Greek. Synagogues means meeting places. 
gathering together. You had to have ten Jewish men to have a synagogue. If you were in a community and you didn't have ten Jewish men, you couldn't have a synagogue. You had to have ten. And then they would go together and they would come into a building and the women sat in one place. They did not sit with the men. Men in front. There was the, 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 the scroll, which is the Bible. And they would bring that out and they had readings. That's why when we saw last week that Jesus went into the synagogue in, in uh, Nazareth and he read from the Bible and he looked at them and said, this passage is fulfilled by me. And that made them all mad, remember, everything. So th that's what they would do. Our church service is, is kind of patterned after synagogue worship because when they, when they would come together, now it's a little bit different because if this was a synagogue, all the women you know, would be in one section and it would be, it would be off where you couldn't really, we couldn't really see each other. You could see the person speaking, but you couldn't see the people out here. And someone would get up and sometimes they would have songs. Uh, sometimes they would read scripture and sing it as they read it. And they would have somebody read. They would have someone teach. Now, I want you to understand that the synagogues was not where they worshipped. It was where they were taught. They would go to the temple to worship. Nowadays, since there is no temple, Jewish people call their synagogues the temple. It's not, but they call it that because they go there to be taught and to worship. But at Jesus' time, the synagogue was not a place to worship. It was a place to be taught. So he instructed them in the synagogues. Let me show you what a synagogue sort of looked like. This is a kind of cutaway view. They would go in, and the men could be here. Women could be back over there. There were actually bedrooms because most of the synagogues were built in people's houses. And, and sometimes people would set up there. Men would be down there. Then the person would read the scroll. And then I've got another picture of a different synagogue. This is Saul's at the synagogue at Capernaum. This is where he was. A lot of the times they would go in. Men would sit over here. Women would be back over in that section over there. And then somebody would be out front, and they would read from the Torah, from the scrolls. And, and that's how they did it. Now, I want you to remember this. The purpose of the synagogue was instructions. Instruction. So what does it say? Jesus went through all of the Galilee teaching in their synagogues. The focus of the synagogue was not worship, but training. Worship was done in the temple. Now, when we come together, we put them together, of course. Our focus is the worship of Jesus Christ and the teaching and instruction. That's why we always say we've gathered today to worship our Savior and to be trained and equipped. At the time of Jesus, the synagogue is where they trained him not necessarily worshipped. And so they had all those good things. So here's Jesus teaching. He goes into the synagogues and teaches. And you might could say this, well, they let him teach? Yes. Yes. In fact, in a synagogue, a person could just raise their hand and say, I'd like to say a few things. And what they called the arch of synagogues was the leader of the synagogue. He wasn't necessarily the teacher. He was just the one who made sure everything was in order. You could just raise your hand and say, I'd like to say a few words. And they'd go, come up. And they'd say a few words. If you remember when Paul and Silas went on their first missionary journey, they would go into the synagogues and, and, and they'd say, does anyone have anything to say? And Paul would go, I do. And Paul would get up and talk. So here's Jesus going into the synagogues, teaching the Bible. And he teaches as one who has authority.
And so, if you notice, in the early church, they would continue to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to focus on the teaching of the Word of God. Second Timothy 4, 2 says, preach the Word, which is the word literally means to announce the Word. First Peter 4 says, if we're going to do anything, speak the Word. The focus at our church, when we gather together, is the worship of Jesus Christ and what? The teaching of the Bible. Now, you know, a lot of churches talk about they teach the Bible, but they don't. They talk about the Bible, but they don't teach the Bible. And a lot of churches don't even talk about the Bible. They just give good little messages. You know, these are nice messages, and everybody goes, that was wonderful. And the Bible wasn't even used. We're to teach the Word of God. That's what Jesus did. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what it tells us to do. Teach the Word. Speak the Word of God. So that was the first thing. The second thing that he did, if you notice, it says teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is the good news about Jesus as the king. And the word preaching there actually means to announce. It's kerugma in the Greek, which has an idea of, uh, of shouting something out, announcing it out. He's saying the king is here. I am the Messiah and the Savior and the king. He's announcing the good news message that whoever believes in him, we're going to see it over and over and over. Long before this passage, he met with Nicodemus. And you remember what he told Nicodemus? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes in him has eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him would never perish but have what? Eternal life. That's the message of Jesus, that whoever believes in him has eternal life. That's what he was proclaiming when it says the gospel of the kingdom. He's the king who is the savior of the world. That's what he proclaims. Now, we get to do it. We get to proclaim a message. We get to announce the good news. Acts, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scripture. It's the death and resurrection of Christ. We're to be witnesses of Christ's death and resurrection. We're to proclaim that whoever believes in him has eternal life. We have the greatest message. Let me just say this. We have the greatest message that's ever been. It is a message of grace. It is not a message of works. It is not a message of telling people to get their act together. It is telling people that God so loved them that Jesus has already died for them, paid for their sins, rose again, conquering death, and offers to them a gift, not works, a gift of eternal life simply by faith. We have that message, and we have a responsibility to go into this community with that grace message of salvation. Do not add to it. Make it clear. Help people comprehend and understand that God loves them, has a gift to give them, and that gift is eternal life, which comes through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. So not only was he teaching, he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That's evangelism and discipleship. That, I mean, evangelism and training, that's what it all is. There's the third thing. Look at the third thing. And healing every kind of disease, every kind of sickness among people. So the third thing is he healed people. He did that. He was amazing. He could do it. He knew everything. The Greek, well, you know what the Greek word for, for healing is? Therapia. We get therapy from it. It, it means to heal. And why did Jesus Christ heal? Some people say, well, he came to heal. No, he didn't come to heal because there were a lot of people who didn't heal. Why did he heal? The healing aspect was to point out who he was. In fact, this, the healing aspect of the ministry was to point out that he was indeed the Messiah. When Jesus would heal people, when he would do things, uh, touch people, the people would say, this has got to be the one sent from God. They would, they would see that. If you remember the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John ends by saying there are many other signs that Jesus did. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you have eternal life. When Jesus did a miracle, 
It wasn't just to do a miracle. It was to point out who he was. He touched them physically. Not only spiritually did he touch people's lives, but he touched their lives physically as well. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. I, I love this. You know, right after, when we get chapters 5, 6, and 7, right after he gets through teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he comes down from the hill, and a guy comes to him who has leprosy. Now, we don't think about leprosy very much. It's not in our part of the world. But leprosy is a horrible disease because you lose all the feeling and everything. And, and you, you, your fingers fall off, your face, your nose, everything falls off. And a man came up to Jesus. And nobody touched him. And when, if they had leprosy on that day, people, they, would have, they were supposed to shout out, unclean! And people would say, oh yeah, yeah, you go on by. This guy comes up to Jesus and he says, if you were willing, you could heal me. And Jesus touches him. Doesn't heal him first. He doesn't say, you be healed, now I'll touch you. He touches him and then says, be healed. That's the kind of Savior we have. We have one who loves us beyond what you could ask or imagine. He died for us. He rose again for us. He is the Savior of the world. So he, he went around touching lives. Let me tell you, we do the same thing. Now, we don't heal, but what we do is we meet needs. We get to touch lives for Christ. Galatians 16, do good to all men. Titus chapter 3, verse 8, we be, we're supposed to be known in this community for doing good. You know what we're doing? We're taking up coats called Halley's Coats, and we're going to give them all over this part of the state. We're going to give them to, uh, to all these little towns around and everybody in Stillwater. Why? Because you want to do something good. You want to touch lives for Jesus Christ. That's why you're doing it. That's why all those racks are out there, and you're just going to keep bringing them in, and, and anything else you can think of, you're going to do. Sometimes people are not open to listen to their spiritual needs until their physical needs are met. Sometimes they just can't listen to you. Sometimes if you help them physically, then you can help them spiritually. So what do we see the ministry of Jesus? He was teaching, proclaiming, and healing. We get to do the same thing. As representatives, we do the same thing. We teach the word to know and apply it. We proclaim the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and salvation by faith. And we meet needs so that people can see Jesus Christ in us. What was the response? Look at verse 24. The news about him spread throughout all Syria. Syria is just north of there. So, and Syria is mostly Gentiles. Gentiles hear about him and they all start coming and look what it says and they brought to him all that were ill and those were suffering with diseases and pains and demonics and epileptics and paralytics and he healed them. One thing about Jesus you'll notice he doesn't just get a group of people and go okay you're all healed thank you for coming. He didn't do it that way. He met and touched each person. That's how he did it. He didn't just give a big group healing. He touched every life. Let me show you some of these words just for you to understand what kind of things they were going through. Diseases, pains, demoniacs. They, they, they were demon-possessed. Epileptics. Do you know what the word epileptic actually comes from in the Greek? It means a moon. See, they had an idea that the moon caused some people to have seizures. And so that he healed that. He healed all kind of things. And he healed them. 
And then look what it says. Large crowds followed him. Well, you you know when people start hitting people, uh, they're going to be large crowds. They followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from the Jordan. I just want you to see where all this is. They're all up in there in Galilee. And then it says from Galilee and Decapolis, that's ten cities, ten Greek cities right there. That's why it's called Decapolis. And then Judea and Jerusalem and beyond the Jordan and Syria, which is way up there. I mean, they're all coming. And this is the beginning of his ministry. And the religious leaders are going to find out. And they're going to hear about him. And they're not going to like it. Because he's not one of them. He didn't go to their schools. He's just some guy that was a carpenter that suddenly started a ministry. But they can't figure out how he does these miracles. And they can't figure out that when he speaks, he speaks as one having authority. Let me just say this, and we'll stop. Some of the some of the religious leaders got it. Nicodemus, Nicodemus in John chapter three, he got it. He went to Jesus by night because he didn't want anybody to know he was going to see Jesus. And he said, "Obviously, you're from God because you keep doing these miracles." And instead of Jesus saying, "Thank you very much," he said, "Unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven." And he told Nicodemus on how to be born again. Best we can tell, Nicodemus may have trusted in Jesus because when Jesus was buried. Joseph of Arimathea buried him, but also a guy by the name of Nicodemus was there to bury Jesus. So there were religious leaders. Many of them, the Bible says, believed in Christ, but they wouldn't tell anybody. They didn't tell anybody. Jesus teaching, proclaiming the gospel, healing. Wow, applications. Let's make some applications. Let's understand the ministry of Jesus Christ. Let's think about it. He began in northern Israel with his teaching and proclaiming the gospel and meeting physical needs. He was the good shepherd. He was the great teacher. And, and he presented this. And he met physical needs as well. And let's do this. Let's be faithful servants of Jesus Christ as we represent him. So what do we do? Teach the word. Listen, my role on a Sunday morning is to teach the Bible. It's not to be funny. Although sometimes I can be funny. But anyway, it's not to be funny. It's to teach the Bible. And if I don't teach the Bible, get somebody who will. That's the role. Teach the Word. Pass it on. R.A. Torrey lived years and years ago, said this, The truly wise man is the one who believes the Bible against the opinions of any man. If the Bible says one thing and the body of people say another, he will decide the book is the Word that cannot lie. The focus of the church, teaching the Word of God. Second, let's proclaim the gospel. Let's, let's do it. You have it. You have the clearest message. It is faith alone in Christ alone for eternal life. We go out these doors and we get to tell people. There are people out there, they're so confused, they don't have a clue of what it means to have eternal life. You have the answer. You've got to take it to them. We've got to be clear. Last but not least, let's meet needs. Let's do it. Let's take up those coats. Let's do other things. Let's think of projects. You already know that every grow group that we have, there's eight grow groups that we meet on Sunday mornings at what we call Sunday school time. It's called the grow groups. Every grow group, every semester, is supposed to have a project to go into the community and touch lives for Jesus Christ. We have a, a church-wide project, which is Hallie's Coats. So let's meet needs of those around us so they'll be open to listen to us about the greatest message in the world, and that's Jesus Christ.